Uh, what did you have for breakfast today? I had some eggs, actually. Yeah. Eggs? Yeah. Just straight up? I had eggs with mush- mushrooms, very, <laughs> very predictable. A little bit of avocado as well, a bit of brain fuel. Nice. Welcome to Uncommon, the podcast that helps you build your knowledge, skills, and mindset through interviews with unique individuals. My name is Jordan Michaelides, and I'm your host. To learn more about our array of guests, just head to neural.com slash podcast. In this episode, we recorded with Ryan Creed. Ryan is the co-founder of an urban farming startup called Lifecycle, created in 2015 with his co-founder, Julian. After discovering how to grow mushrooms from waste coffee grounds, the two of them left their jobs as fly-in-fly-out workers in the West Australian mines to inspire new attitudes towards food production, waste products, and mushrooms. Three years on now, Lifecycle is connecting people with delicious and convenient mushroom products in the form of drinks, home growing kits, and five commercial farms across the country. This episode is a fascinating lesson in the potential of urban farming and my newfound, I guess, obsession with its ability to meet the expected shortcomings in global food production. Ryan is a brilliant educator and someone whom you should keep a close eye on as this industry grows. And I think there's going to be some very special things to come from Lifecycle as the company grows as well. I've got to say many thanks to Gert from Farmwall. We sat down with him in episode 55. He was kind enough to give us the introduction. Uh, This was a huge episode for, I guess, novice green thumbs out there, which included a lot of topics such as thongs and foot posture. Uh, We spoke about uh, Ryan's earliest connection with food and sport, where he grew up, lessons learned from his parents and his father's influence. We spoke about uh, rural upbringings and sense of community and how that sort of permeates through the business. Uh, we then got into his career in the mines, how Lifecycle got started, Paul Stamets and medicinal properties of mushrooms, why mushrooms over microgreens, and then we got all into the different range of products, psychedelic treatments, urban farming, Uh, leaders in urban farming as well and resources for people who are intrigued by the space. So I think this, as I said, will be very intriguing for those who like mushrooms or are intrigued by urban farming. If you enjoyed this episode, make sure you check out my chat with Gert Hendricks. That was episode 55. And then we also spoke to Geordie Kay episode 19, which was organic winemaking. So if you want those show notes and if you enjoyed this episode just head to our index at neural.com slash podcast if you enjoyed this episode particularly if you're a newcomer subscribe on your podcast app and maybe consider sharing it with your friend as well this will go a long way with growing our audience and will be much appreciated Uh, but as always I do thank you all for tuning in. Uh, For our regulars, thanks for coming back. Thanks for listening. And for our newcomers, I hope you enjoy this. Uh, But to everyone, I do hope you enjoy this conversation with Ryan Creed. 
We are live. Ryan, thank you very much for joining me here on this, is it called a rainy Saturday? It's exciting Saturday, Jordan. Thanks <laughs> for having me. Now, um, I think probably the most important question in this entire conversation, having chatted to a f- few close people to yourself, is how extensive is your thong selection? <laughs> <laughs> it, is, it, is, it is one that comes up often. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, just, I just go with one pair, actually. I try to, I try to be careful with the environmental awesome. impact of my thong selection. You're just trying to maximize that. Definitely. I mean, yeah. I've had thongs that have lasted 10 years before. Really? Jeez. Yeah, yeah wow. I had to throw one out recently. It was sad, but um, <laughs> got good use out of it. Why do you think such an interest in wearing thongs? Is it just they're purely comfortable? Well, I think it's, it takes you closer to the natural kind of stance in the foot where yeah. your feet are free and there's no restriction. Yeah, I, it's, it's funny. Like um, uh, there was a previous guest that we had, Eugene Tio, and he's been really going on about like foot um, posture. Yeah. I didn't realize like how... Um, how much you could really like, or how much the musculature in your foot could impact the toes. So, like, if you think about it, I work in an office. A lot of people that probably listen to us work in an office. You're wearing these shoes all day long that sort of close over and compress the foot a bit. And he's sort of shown that if you massage like really intensely, the sort of the muscles in between the you know the bones yeah that, that sit sort of like if if my the palm of my hand is sort of the the main top of my foot if you are if you massage in between that it like starts to release okay. some of the toes that particularly for people who like a lot of people get your pinky toe will sort of start to curl over a lot yes yeah um and that doing with massaging sort of your achilles fixes up a lot of the people who get flat-footed. Okay. I'm like quite flat-footed. Yeah. So, I tried it out for a couple of days and it's it's unbelievable. When you do that and then you go stand up again, it's quite amazing. Okay. Um, but instant, it, instant relief from that. Yeah, instant relief. And it sort of made you saying that made me realize, yeah, we uh, a lot of us are wearing these shoes that are designed fashionably but just – Aren't really exactly. You know, I think you know bunions are certainly more um, common in the in the modern era. <laughs> it is. <definitely laughs> is. Now, um, I want to go back to sort of your early years. What sort of your earliest memory of being excited about food and just being active and healthy? Yeah, my my earliest connections to food was to do with athletic performance. Okay, really, the reason I got so interested in nutrition is because it could help you perform optimally on the sports field. Right. And what what sport were you playing? Basically, the first 22 years of my life was dedicated to trying to play AFL. Really? So, very, very committed to that that mission. Wow. Um, and trying to do everything right to, to prepare well when it comes to sleep, nutrition, training. Fascinating. Um, psychology. But nutrition was a really big um, element that I fell in love with. Now, what position were you playing? I was a midfielder. Okay. Yeah, that, that played forward as well. Okay. So you grew up in WA. What team were you playing playing for? Well, I um actually grew up in Emerald in Victoria, but I lived in WA for uh, five years. Right. Right. Yeah. So um that was that was chapter two. Okay. And so what um what was sort of the club that you played for? Well, I I grew up um, obsessed with North Melbourne Football Club and Wayne <laughs> Carey. Right. But uh, the club I played for was Emerald out in the juniors in, in the Danong Rangers. Right. Okay. Uh, yeah, as a, as a junior, that was uh, where my heart lies with uh, my passion for football and and sport. Now, 
going to your, I guess, your parents, do you feel or do you have any life lessons that I guess they've taught you that you still hold with you today? And it may be like, you know, they said it directly or you just saw it indirectly at all. I, I, I observed my father's commitment to um, enabling people to have access to new opportunities. Right. So he he would uh, he was a football coach uh, for us in the juniors and for other age groups and still is a coach in the under 18s in the local football club. Although right. none of his family are directly related, the commitment to see new opportunities for kids and and men through sport um, is something he's dedicated his 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 life to, which I'm have a lot of respect for and I think I've learned some lessons there. Yeah. Do, do you did he coach you? Oh, he he coached um he coached my brother a lot. Yeah. Um he coached me one on one a lot. I mean, <laughs> it would, from the age of 1, you know, to you know, he'd be coming home from work and I'd be sitting on the couch with the football waiting for him to come to home from work so we could kick the footy in the backyard. Yeah. And his dedication to do that for me day in day out um to hone the skills and practice in in those elements was um something that he coached me on one-on-one and something I'm forever grateful for. Yeah, it's funny. It sort of makes me remember or feel like it's similar to my dad, although like it wasn't as much sport and I sort of saw it indirectly, but it was more business. Like he was sort of incessant, like, you know, just so committed to it. <laughs> yeah. It was insane. Did you find that that also set you in the right direction because it was a passion of yours or did it become a passion of yours because it was a passion of his? I don't know. Like, it's a really tough question, isn't it? I feel like it's such a tough one. Like, do you love what you do when you sort of see your parents doing it so much or do you love it because you just love it? Mm. I mean, I lo- I'm obsessed with working, which is a problem. <laughs> like, I think that going back to seeing him do that, it's a bit of a double-edged sword, you know, because when you're that sort of t- type of personality, mm you you sort of fall down this rabbit hole of complete and utter focus. Yes. Which sometimes it's really hard to pull back from. Yes. Um, the the utter focus can be healthy if it's um, not an addiction. Exactly. Yeah. But sometimes like, you, you know, I, I'm terrible for it. I can just fall into like this wormhole of just pure work when I should be getting ready to go out for dinner <laughs> or something like that. Um, I guess that's where we have a similar trait for being late to things. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) But, yeah, I I feel like I was already a conscientious sort of type of individual where I would almost get uneasy about things being out of order or not being like, you know, things not progressing or I don't know, just sort of when you're a conscientious individual, you really like structure, if that makes sense. Um, So, I don't know, like, I don't know enough about psychology to think if, was that something you get from nurturers or just like an inherent yeah. genetic trait? Yeah. I do wonder. Do you think like your dad like mirror, it sort of mirrored onto you or do you think it's sort of inherent in your personality? I think it was inherent in my personality to be competitive and I think all human beings have that natural tendency towards exercise and being outdoors and fortunately growing up in the country in Victoria, I yeah. had access to that. So. Through, through natural tendencies combined with the, the opportunities that existed, it, it amplified it. Yeah. How do you think growing up in country Victoria impacted your mentality? Yeah, that's, it's good. I mean, growing up in country Victoria, I immediately think of the um, surroundings and the, the very variable people that were at my school and in my community and people from all walks of life were, were amongst our culture and yeah. community. And I think 
um, that was very, very beneficial. Um, there was no segregation or anything like that. You um, you got to mix with um, all kinds of kids and yeah. um, with all kinds of interests in sport or music or whatever it may be. I, I'm grateful for going to a public school and kind of having um, that in. That influence, yeah. It's actually really interesting that you say that because, I mean, I didn't know that you grew up in country Victoria and I realised now, if you look at life cycle, particularly like because I, I watched every single video you guys have done and tried to find whatever else I can, <laughs> there's like a real emphasis on, you know, community and helping people. Like I feel like maybe if this business was started by someone who lived in the inner city suburbs, they'd be driven all about the business side of things. I do wonder, like, do you feel that that's really impacted your viewpoint on how you want to take the business forward? It's a great question. I, I have always felt like, had this kind of saying to myself, it's like, I feel like you've made it once you've got your own veggie patch. <laughs> <laughs> you know, once you've got some space, you know, to grow your own food. And I think, you know, like, so we grew up how we had apple trees and lemon trees yeah. and chooks and all this food growing just purely accessible which um was thanks to my parents for maintaining it all i had, <laughs> had, had nothing to do with that but um i get to in, i got to enjoy like freshly picked produce that yeah. we grew at home and that was like inherently a part of me that i guess has stemmed into life cycle it stemmed into um you know something that julian has as well like a yeah. inherent want to connect people to growing food and that food that's chemical free and it's grown locally yeah like I, I can definitely see that it's it's really really interesting. If anyone goes and watches the videos, um, you guys really emphasise like going to school community groups and yeah. teaching the kids and stuff like that. And um, I don't know. I feel like that over the long term for any business is a better approach. We're in this sort of age now when you're in like high tech startups and everyone's like doing these crazy sort of promotions and all the money goes into product development and marketing and the moment you switch off marketing you don't have as much traction but there's like there's things that doing what you're doing in the tech world in their world doesn't scale yeah you know but actually does you know because you're Mm. putting in a lot more groundwork you're putting a lot heavier roots if that makes sense yes yeah yeah it's really interesting i just thought of that now, like your your co-founder, uh, Julian, did he grow up in Victoria as well? He grew up in WA. He grew up in WA. In, uh, okay. in a town called Harvey, yeah. which is known for Harvey Oranges. <laughs> um, but that that was also a, um, you know, a country kind of town yeah, um, with acreage and connection to locals that grew produce and freedom and a lot of sport and a lot of community. Yeah. Now, let's, let's go to how the two of you met. You started out together at Rio Tinto as health and wellness officers. Yeah. I know you had numerous jobs in WA across health and wellness related areas. Why did you move? Why did the two of you go into mining? Was it just simply a great job opportunity that you couldn't turn down? Yeah, it was. Um, It was a health and wellness position in mining that had the ability to be flexible on our content according to improving the health of the mining sector and uh, workers that worked 12-hour shifts eight days in a row that had um, challenges for health yeah, and lived in a town called Parabadu, which is the town that we worked at the mining, yeah. in, at the mine site. And um, there was a lot of area for like uh, improvement and it, it, it was very satisfying to be able to um, 
impart impact on that yeah now what why is health and wellness important to miners like what is maybe explain to the audience what their a miner's day-to-day life looks like totally yeah so um most of the guys would be working um rosters on a night shift then a day shift and then days off right so they might do four days uh, of days four days of nights okay six days off and then repeat and there was uh, living in a remote town um, in basically in the desert with little access to the things that we take for granted in the city, um, particularly little access to nutritional food, recreation, new connections, entertainment. So the challenges there was to um, ensure there was adequate sleep so there was no fatigue on site. Right. Ensure that the habits for um, nutrition and avoiding alcohol um, and these kind of simple pleasures that can be um, addictive and um, seem to give happiness in short term. So we were very empowered to have impact there and we were doing um, one-on-one coaching, also speaking to the groups about certain habits that you can, we can improve. Uh, there was also the mental health aspect of um, separation from family, yeah. separation from community and meaningful um, aspects. So... Julian, first of all, worked there. Uh, we met playing football together, actually, in Western <laughs> Australia. And he, and then he, fortunately, was able to um, give me the opportunity to come and join him up on the site. Right. Um, we worked fly in, fly out. So we lived in um, Perth, but we flew up onto site. For one stage, we were doing eight days on, six days off. And then we, were, then we worked to a roster that was five days on and three days off. Right. Yeah, it was. Um, we, were, we were very passionate about what we did, and it offered a lot of opportunity for us to develop personally. Because after work, you'd spend a lot of time, you know, by yourself reading or working on business models um, and uh, self developing. Yeah, and that sort of gets me to my point: is when did you and Julian realize that you wanted to create this sort of business? Where where was the ideation that was happening before you went and went and did it? Yeah, we both were always had our fingers in businesses. Right. Um, we we Julian had started an uh, app for f- um, physical performance um, to do with soccer, and I was running a business called My Health Addiction, and uh, had history in selling selling nutritional um, products and things like that. Always had the idea of um, exiting mining with a with a business. Right. Um, yeah, because you get paid pretty well, and but also you're all you're doing is working. Exactly. Yeah. So it was certainly an opportunity to get ahead, yeah. get some money in the bank, work on uh, d- development, like I said, work on business model in spare time. Also have six days off in Perth to do this as well. Jeez. Um, so it was it was really a key aspect to um, us getting um, traction in business. Mm. And I worked there for two years. Julian worked there for three years. And um, fortunately, um, I think probably the exit came quicker than we expected. But yeah, we just took that leap and um, never looked back. Working in mining was certainly a, a tool and a big um, initiator. Who first had the idea around mushrooms? Like, what, what was the moment? Like, ah, oh, shit, we're gonna go mushrooms out of coffee. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, I think um, I think it was all stemming from when we were had our fingers in these side businesses. We both, through our work and through our education in the mining sector, were um, looking for new ways to engage people in better living and what is better living there's so many definitions for what health is yeah you know you ask um, everyone has a different definition or you know which organizations promoting what and what science is latest you know <laughs> the healthy eating pyramid just ch- is you know on the verge of changing so like what do we believe you know yeah and we started to follow a lot of um facebook ch- like channels and youtube channels that had to do with growing food 
um, that was chemical free. David Wolf was one of them that, okay. that um, promotes a lot of um, controversial facts around corporates and food and how society can be brainwashed in certain kind of things due to greed and money. And it was kind of a moment there um, where we were following these groups. Pete Evans is another one. Mm-hmm. And just asking the right questions combined with a veggie patch challenge that we ran up on the site. So oh. we, we had a, um, an opportunity for the guys up in the mining to connect to growing food. And there was a, I think it was like a $500 cash prize for the best veggie patch. Really? Um, right. And at this point of time when we were connecting to these things and the look on the guys' faces when they were showing us photos of basil and tomatoes that they grew for themselves for the first time ever was just too hard to ignore. Like that passion that we saw in um, these tough mining guys that were connecting (laughs) to growing food and so satisfied by it. Yeah. There was a combination of all these things that made us say like we need the communities growing local food how can we look at resources to enable this um, to be done easily? Yeah. And the easily part is key because people don't have time, skills to install veggie gardens or what's the, what's that barrier to entry? Yeah. Was the big question. And um, through us being together a lot, we were always, we were throwing ideas about enabling in uh, meaningful jobs for the elderly who were semi-retired or fully retired to maintain gardens for food perhaps we looked at aquaponic systems that could be installed. <laughs> we had the vision that if you owned a TV, why couldn't you own an aquaponic system that was a turnkey growing solution on in apartments and anywhere? And through all these kind of um, ideas and research that we were constantly do- doing, Julian discovered that you could grow mushrooms from coffee grounds and this seemed to be a nutritious protein source that could be growing off low impacts uh, in uh, low water use and low electricity right. um and we're like wow this is big yeah let's explore this more by simply spraying water on a mushroom box putting it on your kitchen bench and seeing it flourish before your eyes answered it all because it was simple right it was simple for people to engage in growing food and that was the kickstart of um life cycle journey yeah because i mean this that's really interesting yeah, I was chatting to like our production assistant beforehand about like what are sort of the questions we can ask him talking about competitive advantages and stuff like that. I just didn't really think about the sort of, you know, that element that you're speaking about where you you were seeing these mining guys like really light up, really flourish. Yeah. Because I do think that is a problem. Like it must be a real innate human thing to see food grow and the excitement in you to see that and to yeah. know that you're cultivating that. You look at humans' history, I mean, based on hunting and gathering and survival, and that was all based on the connection to food. So, in connection to the growing aspect of the food and yeah. the, and the nature um, of where that came from. So, yeah, you're right. It is it is in inbred into us. Yeah, it's it's funny you mentioned that because I mean, I was reading a book recently. It just spoke about how, um, like, obviously, like monotheism is the number one religion now, but. When we're hunter-gatherers moving towards like food production, because there were some societies that weren't, some that were, that was where you had like a lot more religions that were like polytheistic and a lot more animalistic, if that makes sense. Like, you know, you worship the fox or the wolf or the the eagle or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, sort of like how Native American like theology is based around a lot of that stuff. Yeah. So, yeah, it's it's a really interesting observation. Maybe we'll get into with life cycle. I, 
there'll be some people who won't, you know, understand it. I've seen a lot of the promotional videos and everything. Maybe give us the explain like I'm five version of what is life cycle, what is the very first product you started with and where has it gone to now? Yeah. Yeah. Well, Lifecycle was born two and a half years ago through the process I just described about that intention to connect people to growing their own food, um, connect people to growing their own food locally, providing a source of chemical-free protein that could be grown across the world from waste, upcycling coffee waste into a new product locally. That was our mission that started with the crowdfunding campaign. Yeah. Since our initial research on that into mushrooms um, has significantly grown and we understand that mushrooms can save the world in so many more ways than just local food. Mushrooms can save the environment. Mushrooms can save our human health um, as a medicinal property. Mm-hmm. The active compounds in medicinal mushrooms are significant and um, are protective for viruses, colds, cancer, um, mental performance, um, focus, spirituality, and the list goes on and on and on. Yeah. It can also engage communities to come together. So when when uh, we are sharing the passion to grow food locally and provide it to our neighbours and meeting the people that grew it, this can have a very so big social impact that also creates new jobs. Mm. In a world where technology is taking over, we can actually look back to the ancient practices of growing food and um, – community associated with that and so the products you have now so you obviously you grow mushrooms for restaurants yes. in sort of your um shipping containers um and they sort of sit in these bags of coffee so to speak where you're spraying like a how do you spray spray like the commercial ones are you using the same thing like a little bottle of- we we have a humidifier ah, so okay. it's um it's very uh labor it's very low intensive work yeah. So that our setups are have humidifiers, air temperature control. We're setting it up so we can monitor it remotely. Then it's just a matter of coming in daily and harvesting the mushrooms when they're ready and identifying when they are um, perfectly ready to grow. Yeah. To to pick and uh, deliver. And yeah, and so that you've got sites in WA and Victoria, right? Yeah, we've um we've got five farms now. Wow. Um, after the ABC got a hold of the story in Western Australia, we've had a lot of interest in um, people. In many cases, semi-retired, people looking for new meaningful jobs and uh, very, very excited to grow mushrooms for their community. Um, and off the back of that, we've been able to, uh, to set up a farm in Noosa, Byron Bay, uh, Melbourne and Castlemaine. Jeez, um, really? Wow. Yeah, so they're all commercial um, sea container farms. Yeah. And with no, without ignoring this need for these meaningful jobs and um, mushrooms – to be grown for the for the communities, we've recently created a turnkey mushroom growing solution for anybody who's got space for a ten foot garden shed in their house, in their backyard, uh, or in their worksite, or at their school, or at their community space, which is replicating that commercial sea container into a very small style that um, can grow up to forty kilograms of mushrooms a week. Really? So, like, how is that? Is it like a kit that people buy, or yes, yeah. So it's a um, it's a it's like a um, turnkey mushroom growing shed that comes um, with all of our equipment and it gets installed. And, uh, <laughs> so, like a, a little IKEA set for growing mushrooms. It's mushroom. like an IKEA setup <laughs> um, where it's just plug in and play. It's the shared shed economy. Wow. Yeah. And so, you've got that. You've got the mushroom in a box. 
um, and then you've got this new magic range. What is that? Yeah, the um, the magic range is a very exciting way to engage people with the medicinal properties of mushrooms okay. without having to change your existing behaviors. Yeah. So, the ancient Chinese have been using medicinal mushrooms for health for centuries and centuries, but we're seeing um, we're seeing a big opportunity for Western society to adopt this. So we've created products that it requires no behavior change, such as mushroom coffee, mushroom hot chocolate, mushroom maca lattes, mushroom proteins, mushroom iced teas. There's a list of about 10 more products that are on the horizon in the next three months. Interesting. That's super interesting. I remember seeing that and I – because, you know, there was – Tim Ferriss always goes on about this Swedish company, but um, I noticed that you guys had sort of a different range and when I was searching online maybe a year ago, it was either your range or their range that came up. But obviously um, in Australia – they don't export or anything like that. And so, you guys have really taken, I guess, the forefront of that sort of stuff. I know a lot of people that use particularly the um, the coffee, that love the coffee. <laughs> yes, it's, it's it's very exciting that people are engaging with the medicinal mushroom health benefits now. Yeah. Um, I think one thing we're also very passionate about on that topic is the fact that we can grow these medicinal mushrooms from coffee waste also mm. so um in our farm in byron bay we're growing reishi mushroom from from coffee waste and yeah. also lion's mane mushroom yeah so i was going to get into that like what are the different varieties that you're growing and what what's used for what product yeah yeah um so we're growing reishi mushroom and lion's mane mushroom okay you, so this is a pearl mushroom um that we've right. got here which is um edible for like stir fries and things like that yeah the medicinal mushrooms um the four main ones are the chaga mushroom yeah cordyceps reishi and lion's mane so those last two that i mentioned are ones that we can grow from waste and soon will enable people to grow them themselves in these kits as well yeah so when you can grow your reishi you can create your own tea you can extract the active compounds out of that reishi to support your immune system um with the uh, lion's mane mushroom there's a lot of research out there to show regeneration of nerve cells in the brain increased focus and performance this is very exciting for um the modern busy day when you're in the office for long hours and there's required um focus and attention mm. um so to be able to grow these products in your in your house and eat them as well as consume them through the pre-prepared drinks um, we're very passionate to bring that medicine in, into um, Western society. Yeah, now this is a really – because when you mentioned this before we were going to start and I was I was thinking about this episode and I don't want to forget it for our audience because I think it's really important. Do you know of Joe Rogan? Mm. Yeah, yeah, so Joe Rogan's got a podcast. I think most of our audience knows this. I've mentioned it a million times. <laughs> um, okay, so there's an episode he recently had with probably one of the – Okay, his name is Paul Stamets, uh, Paul S-T-A-M-E-T-S. Do you know of Paul at all? I know, I, know, I know Paul, certainly. He's leading the way in the mushroom movement across the world and he's yeah. um, you know, one, one man that can change the world um, for the better in many ways um, with his extensive knowledge in mushrooms um, and ability to communicate that to, uh, through YouTube and yeah. um, to us all. So he, okay, so for people who don't know, he's a biologist that specializes in fungi. There's a few things that blew my mind when it comes to the medicinal stuff. First of all, number one, this is just totally re- irrelevant to that, but um, the biggest organism on the planet is a mushroom. Apparently, there is a mushroom that is rooted through 
the depth of the United continental United States, and it's like humongous because it sits within, uh, like they grow and it sits within all these roots. Um, I can't remember what uh, it's like in a forest or something like that. Um, so that thing that was that blew my mind. <laughs> I, it's really a fascinating episode for people who want to listen to it. Um, a few other things he mentioned is number one, the reason why it's so beneficial for us medicinally is because we are really closely related to mushrooms in in our structure. Like we really depend on bacteria and fungi is a form of bacteria essentially, um, one that acts positively with our body. So that, again, is like another fascinating thing that blew my mind. Um, and then he was just talking about other things like how, um, you know, you, you've spoken about the, the chaga, the lion's mane, the reishi mushrooms are really, really good for your general health. I mean, he rambled off some of the things. I don't know them at all, but like yeah. what specifics can we tell the audience about the medicinal properties? Definitely. You're right. There's a host of different health properties in all these medicinal mushrooms, although each of them do have a superpower, um, a particular area that we like to focus on and um, enable people to make the right choices on their medicinal mushroom according to certain health qualities. Right. So, for example, the cordyceps mushroom that we have in our mushroom coffee increases uh, the ability for cells to uptake oxygen. So, therefore, athletes um, have been found to improve their VO2 max. Um, so, it's a performance mushroom for energy as well as um, that's on a performance scale for an athlete, but it's also performance in the workforce and in the day-to-day um, realms of um, uptake energy to the brain through um, increased cell uptake of oxygen that's that's the main power for the cordyceps right um the second mushroom that we have in our mushroom coffee is chaga so this is very very rich in antioxidants one serve of the mushroom coffee has the antioxidants equivalent of five cups of blueberries oh my god are you serious yeah so um it's 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 wild harvested in siberia it grows in very cold climates on birch trees if you look at the history of the siberian culture they have very longevity um, they're one of those um, tribes that lived for a long time and it's predicted that this is very due to the chaga benefits that they've been consuming. Um, so to provide this in the coffee, um, which we find tastes a little bit smoother due to the alkalinity as- associated with the chaga as well. Right. Very, very alkaline food, brings you into acid-alkaline balance, provides the antioxidants and the uptake of energy associated with cordyceps. Wow. So. You know, most people will have a daily coffee. If you can upgrade your daily coffee with these associated health benefits, um, you're you're on the right track for um, longevity, performance, and um, and antioxidants. Yeah, hundred percent. I'm just to add to that. Um, an interesting note: I've started reading a book uh, called Longevity by Dr. Volta Lungo, who studies like, do you know the blue zones? Yeah. Um. So that for those that are listening, these are these areas. I think there's five zones in the world where like the a massive majority of the population are you know centenarians so they grow yeah they're over 100 um and one thing he speaks about is the getting bang for your buck um per calorie so if you're going to consume a calorie try diversify say your protein so that let's say you'd normally have 200 grams of chicken maybe 100 grams of chicken 100 grams of uh, chickpea because then you get a lot more vitamins out of the chickpea and yep. you get it. that's sort of what he's noticed from those societies so if you're having coffee 
coffee's good. Like, it, it is good for you. But, um, you know, maybe if you're having mushroom coffee, it could be a lot better for the long term. Yeah. That's, that's an interesting thing that I was thinking about recently. And there's limited calories in those drinks. So, then you're not, um, you know, inhibiting your energy intake, um, but you're getting the associated health benefits. Associated. Exactly. Yeah. Oh, this is so fascinating. Um, I was thinking why mushrooms are not microgreens when you guys first started out. Because like microgreens is the thing, right? <laughs> is it simply that you learnt that the fuel source or the energy source for growing these things were well, you could basically get it close to free? Well, I think um, the big attraction um, that has been from day one with mushrooms, it's rich source of protein, iron, B vitamins, which in many cases can be um, substituted for meat. Okay. So we're seeing a lot of environmental harm to do with livestock, not to mention the animal cruelty associated the in- with the industry as well. Mm. And with a significantly rising population and um, development of urban spaces, we're looking for tools to grow protein and iron-rich sources in urban spaces and, and mushrooms tick those boxes. Yeah. Okay. That's really interesting. Um I know Having that. said that on the microgreen thing, we've um, we've also got a microgreen kit where you can grow your own microgreens off yeah. coffee waste, um, which is um, a nutrient-rich source of greens that associates with um, a healthy meal as well. So, yeah, it's, it's, it's exciting to be able to upcycle coffee waste into growing more, more food than just mushrooms too. Yeah. Now, okay, so you've got these products. We've got the box, the commercial products. We've got the tea, um, sorry, the coffees and the teas and whatnot. Um I guess, like, how and where does this go? Like, do you, you must be thinking all the time about how do I scale this or how do I grow it? What are you idealizing? What are you visualizing in your mind? Yeah, that's right. We've got a lot of short-term goals and a lot of long-term goals associated with mushrooms improving um, the world and um, growing the future with those mushrooms. Uh, some short-term goals are um, enabling meaningful jobs for people to become uh, mushroom farmers. So, you know, while I was talking about that turnkey mushroom growing shed that can be installed in anyone's backyard, um, we're seeing the shared economy, um, people utilising their cars for Uber or um, their houses for Airbnb. You can monetize um, space in your own uh, backyard with a mushroom growing shed with limited hours spent. can be an additional income and providing a lot of meaningful connections to the community as well. Right. So that's a short-term goal for... Um, you know, by 2020, we vision that, you know, most towns in Australia, uh, there will be a local mushroom growing um, partner in the National Mushroom Network. Okay. Uh, that's that's one of our short-term goals for um, yeah, local impact. Um, we do see a better future with mushrooms um, and life cycle having impact globally. There's enough coffee waste in the world to be um, diverted from landfill and... Um, we see that we can, yeah, set up these growing units across the world and the IP that we've um, been able to develop with the successful growing of mushrooms can be shared. In terms of the medicine, we're, we're a good way into the providing the medicine to human health. And like I've spoke about with all the coffees, the, uh, we're just releasing a tincture, which is a liquid extract from the mushrooms as well mm. and a variety of different... Um, uh, mushroom, medicinal mushroom products, but this is also stems into animal health. The animal immune systems are currently being supported by antibiotics 
And um, through our early trials with a variety of different uh, animals, we're seeing improvements with their immune system associated with the consumption of mushrooms that we've extracted. It's very exciting um, for populations uh, such as bees, livestock, poultry. Interesting. Um, also pets. Right. So, that, you know, the, the standard um, foods that we see in the pet aisle of the supermarkets can also be upgraded with these medicinal mushroom products um, and have a great impact. Now, when you said expand internationally, is that with those turnkey kits or would you literally look to go commercial? Both, yeah. Both, okay. Yeah, yeah, wow. Yeah. Are there um, anywhere you're eyeing off in particular? Um, we've, we've had discussions with groups in North America and um, also in Amsterdam. Mm. There's a variety of different companies across Europe that grow mushrooms um, from coffee waste already that we've, um, we've connected to and um, – being able to share some of our um, knowledge in improving those systems is something that we'd like to uh, look at in the coming years. Of course, we want to focus on doing things really well in Australia mm-hmm. first. We, uh, yeah, we're we're a step closer to improving those um, animal immunities, and within within the next few months, we'll be releasing these kind of solutions. Interesting. Um, but from what started as a uh, mission to connect people to growing their own food. We've we've it's it's stemmed now into um, animal health, environmental health with um, creating biomaterials out of mushroom mycelium. This is a this is a pot plant made from uh, <laughs> mushroom mycelium, which is um, completely completely sturdy and also biodegradable. Right. So the vision to um, remove polystyrene plastic from packaging um, is a very real one that is on the horizon. We've got animal free leather made from mushrooms so going into the fashion realm with and um furniture realm with leather made from mushrooms <laughs> is uh is another step the community aspect associated with our teachings in schools we've got a variety of lesson plans and are very passionate about teaching the next generation about what's possible with fungi and mushrooms so we've got realm we're stemming into all these kind of realms um which we never knew was possible until recently. Yeah. Um, because we truly believe mushrooms are our future. The items that I've mentioned are um, going to be uh, making a big change in the next three to six months with life cycle um, in Australia and abroad. In five years' time, the reality is through looking at the, um, the trend in medicinal marijuana and also the studies that are associated with psychedelic mushrooms for um, reversing depression, and anxiety, um, these kind of products are going to be av- available for improving the lives of many and connecting human beings to each other in a way we've never seen before. Um, I, I, I believe that the biggest problem with the world is disconnection and it's why we mm. have wars because we're unable to empathise with each other and see other people's point of views and the research associated with mushrooms and health and um, these solutions are extremely exciting. Yeah, it's just on the the psychedelics thing. I've had um, uh, Dr. Stephen Bright, who studies the use of psychedelics. Psychedelics. He um, he deals with maps over in America as well. Um, who do like a lot of uh, psychedelic research. I'm really excited because I had always had uh, since I was about 20 had like generalized anxiety disorder, just for like in different bouts at different times. Um, I haven't had to deal with it for years because I dealt with the issue, but mm. I think you're right. The moment the you know mushroom psychedelic mushrooms, psilocybin mushrooms become available, even for R and D and testing, that's going to be super exciting. 
because then you can start getting into, you know, pharmaceuticals and stuff like that. It will, it will be world-changing, yeah. no doubt. I mean, already fungi is used in many medicines, penicillin, all these kind of things like that. If you look, they're, they're an origin from, from mushrooms. Mm. Um, but um, with that growing research that done by the doctors and the researchers and the PhDs across the world, um, the ability to change the human consciousness and um, reverse these um, debilitating um, issues with anxiety and depression is extremely, extremely exciting. Yeah. Where, how do you go about, I mean, you've got all these things going on when it comes to products. What are the, what's sort of like your evaluation system for identifying what do I, what do I want to go into next? Is it like it's got to be a big enough market or you've, it's got to be something that your current client base wants to use? What sort of systems are you using for that? That's a really great question. Um, we we identify the products that we release that are um, with mushroom extracts in them associated to what are the current consumers' behaviors. Okay. So uh, if you look at coffee con- consumption, it's very prevalent in day-to-day life. Yeah. So it's an obvious um, addition to improve that product with mushrooms. Um, we look at the growing trend in veganism and the desire to be ethical and treating animals fairly. Um, which is a huge passion of ours too. So then we are, we provide um, protein sources that are made from plants that have upgrades with mushrooms. Fortunately, hemp seed is now legal and we've just created a product that has the hemp seed protein in there as well, which is not huh. a sustainable crop. With providing mushroom leather, it follows the desire for the consumer to be choosing ethical fashion by the schools that are, have strong um, sustainability messages in their, um, in their lessons these days, uh, we, we want to support that with our mushroom growing kits um, that teaches kids about using waste into a new product but also with the health benefits and the, so- and the association with mushrooms and the nature. So we, do, we make our choices on our products and the way we go about providing them to who according to looking at consumer trends right? and also identifying and using current resources and, and networks mm-hmm. who have really good message-telling capabilities. One of those examples is our partnership with Virgin, um, whereby we're collecting the coffee waste from the airport in Perth and also in Melbourne, diverting that from landfill, using it in our urban farms. The Virgin ability to spread a message is significant with people like Richard Branson um, where – their power of storytelling can be um, exposed across the world for um, what you can do when it comes to being resourceful. Um, and hope we hope that that inspires others to create new solutions as well. I, I had no idea that you guys were doing that. Right. That's super fascinating. How long, is that, how long have you been using them for coffee grounds? I'd say six months now. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I mean, when I got into looking into this area, it got me into the whole space of, I guess you call urban farming. Now, you've spoken a bit about the whole, you know, having a turnkey system for people at home. Um, I came across people like um, this guy, Curtis Stone, who basically runs farm on like quarter acre outer city suburb houses and basically grows like microgreens and mushrooms and maybe like aquaponics and stuff like that. Now, you guys have focused on mushrooms initially. Um, You're obviously quite excited about other products and I, I think... Seeing your interest in product development, I don't think that you're going to just stay in mushrooms at all. <laughs> What's been your analysis of 
I guess, urban farming in Australia? Do you think it's like non-existent or something else entirely? I think it's um, it's on a sharp rise. Okay. Um, there's a group called the Alphington Food Hub and uh, yes, out where yes. we're setting up our our growth in mushrooms in Melbourne. Right. And there are groups like Farmall that have microgreens and there there is this uh, Melbourne Farmers Market Association on site. There's guys that have got honey and bees and um, – being connected to these groups, we're seeing a lot of people engage with the interest and growth in it. And it it's hard to know um, when you're living it whether it's looks like it's growing because you, you're associated with it or whether it is actually um, we're seeing a sharp rise already. If we if we haven't seen that, it's it's on the horizon because it's a need and it's also for it's also driven by the people of our younger generation to um who are recognizing the need for this mm. um also observation of groups in uh, europe and um, singapore and things that are growing food on rooftops and um in buildings and things like that um with technology and the ability to monitor temperatures and harvest crops at the right time um i think urban farming is about to boom yeah it's it's funny you mentioned about um you know interest in other kinds of foods and things like that it's like believe it or not we think that um the work in mushrooms is a lifetime yeah um and we do um we do spend time um combining other foods with our mushrooms to benefit the health um, qualities of them we've spent a little bit of time looking at some indigenous um food sources from um native australian uh food, food crops that we can incorporate with mushrooms to improve the health wow um and also the community aspect and to ensure that these kind of crops are not lost but, um, of course, you've got to stay in your lane and do what your skill sets are appropriate with and then also collaborate with other groups that have skill sets in the other areas of urban farming. Yeah. You guys are sort of in the early days yet. You know, it's only two years now. But mm. um, I don't know. I'm, in, I'm intrigued to see what you do over the, when it comes five, six years. Do you think you'll raise capital at some point? Because initially you guys like crowdfunded. Yeah, we um, were very fortunate to have the support of the community to crowdfund and raise enough money to buy two sea containers in Fremantle. Mm. Um, then with our expansion from West Coast to East Coast, we um, we were had the support of the Melburnians to start a farm in Melbourne through another crowdfunding campaign. Right. And uh, the time is coming that to execute on all these opportunities for the better of humanity, um, capital raise w- will be required yeah. um, for us to um, make them happen quickly. Yeah. And um, – be on the front foot and not let these ideas bubble in the background as just an idea. It's like you do need um, you do need money to commercialise and grow them and, and make them accessible. You definitely do. I think they're saying that um, Gert and uh, previous guest Seb said as well. Do, do you feel like you, are there any direct competitors to Lifecycle at all? There, um, there are competitors in Four Sigmatic across um, yeah. in, in the United States. Um, but they don't. They sort of don't have access to the Australian market like they do here. Yeah, um, like you do here. Sorry. Yeah, that's right. I mean, I think you know uh, competitors are also um, you know like fake leather companies um, who provide an option for vegan leather, and we're not seeing a direct mushroom company um, competition in Australia in the areas that we work on in biotechnology and growing and extracting creating solutions um, that are grown in Australia and um, developed in Australia. Yeah, so it's, it's um, yeah, I, I'm expecting that it will come um, or, you know, 
otherwise I encourage people to join us. <laughs> <laughs> no, because I'm just thinking like, you know, you guys have sort of got that real, a lot of your content and the stuff that you're doing is, again, going back to what I was saying, it's really like developing roots, you know, like it's long-term thinking as opposed to like, oh, let's just market the shit out of this as much as we can. I just think it'd be a real pity if someone jumped in and just did the the high-tech version where like it's a pump and dump, not much real development on product or the people that are using it. Yeah, I guess we'll see what happens, but, you know, it'd be good to see you guys expand, I think. Yeah, it's exciting. We're, we're exciting to expand and I think on, on that point, more and more we're seeing transparency in business. So, um, consumers uh, have the opportunity to understand where their food comes from, how it was produced and um, through social media, we're sharing the background knowledge and um, exposure to vision of um, how it's produced and the people behind the business. Yeah. Um, and I think that goes a long way for the consumer's behavior to access premium products and not be um, that that quick solution that you described is um, becoming almost non achievable because the consumers are awake to uh, quality and product. Yeah. Now, going back to the, the whole urban farming thing, um, we've had a few different guests now. We've seen that I think probably most people are aware that microgreens, greens, root vegetables, mushrooms are sort of the high-value crops that are, I guess, where people are focusing their time. Mm. Um, you guys have looked at other products, but I'm just intrigued to think what – crops are grabbing your interest at the moment where do you what have you noticed you know you're obviously reading a lot um about this sort of stuff what crops are sort of grabbing your interest at the moment that could be something over the next few years in the urban um urban farming farming. space particularly yeah yeah Yeah, i mean through our exposure with farm or we've been able to see the mikey greens growing firsthand and by understanding that those um smaller versions of crops have you know, up to up to six hundred percent more nutrition associated with them be, being a young plant. It's very exciting for the nutritional purposes, the flavour, the colours, the beauty they provide to dishes and things like that. Microgreens is certainly one. Um, I think um, the the honey movement and growing, and then the beekeeping in the urban spaces is also exciting. Oh. Um, and we're seeing a lot of groups then enabling um, people in suburbs to become beekeepers, and also through Flow Hive with revolutionizing the way beekeeping is undertaken that's an exciting area yeah um, particularly with our um, diminishing um, health of the bees we um, we need to all support the bee health and um, you know learn about beekeeping and, and um, you know one third of the crops that we eat are requiring pollination yeah so if we see that um, that's a big issue if we to see the um, the bee colonies um, disappear yeah that's um it's been a really interesting area isn't it i've watched a few documentaries on that and um um there's heaps of people now sort of getting into that urban bee farming like having bee farms uh beehives on like corporate buildings in the city and stuff like that it's super fascinating yeah um i want to jump into the business aspects of things um i guess in your mind what is the highest leverage activity that you and Julian can be doing for the business each year? Like what is the thing that is the most important above all? Great question. Um, the most important things that Julian and I can be doing is spreading the message, empowering people to understand um, why mushrooms are important for a better future. Yeah. Connecting to like-minded groups to share 
our responsibility and also our abilities to grow corporately and through education, um, forging new partnerships, connecting with corporates, um, enabling corporates to um, share with their customers about why it's important to care with the environment. I mean, we we always begin to um, – everybody adopts the habits that we start to preach and talk about. And um, fortunately, um, a lot of big corporates are now taking stance on the environment and looking to be sustainable and um, practicing these methods. Yeah. So for Julie and I, it's important for us to be connecting to these for partnerships and scaling the opportunities for our te- with our technology. It's vitally important for the business to successfully execute on – distribution and um, in a structured way that is running like a well-oiled machine and learning from a background of health and um, kind of a visionary perspective that we both have. It's about now connecting to and engaging people into the business with skill sets um, that we don't have to successfully commercialise the business and grow it in a, uh, in a, a way any big company will. Yeah. Yeah, that's really interesting. That that makes a lot of sense. How many how many staff do you guys have now, um, including you and Julian? Yeah, off the top of my head, I um, we have fifteen staff off the um, different bases of part time, casual, yeah, um, and a variety of roles. Right. Yeah. Okay. What in your mind? I mean, I always think about the famous investor Charlie Munger, and he's always saying invert, invert, invert. Always look at the downside. Most of the people in businesses are looking at upside. How are you looking at the downsides in your business? Where is the riskiest aspect for you? You know, where do you find most of the spot fires crop up? Definitely. I think, you know, with um, like any startup, the growing pains associated with cash flow mm. is is huge. Um, we've chosen the, the path for growth and fast growth, which comes with cash flow c- concerns. You know, if you've got um, – if you've got partners that have 90-day payment terms, um, <laughs> you know, you, you've got so much cash out there. Um, you've got a, a whole kind of like bubble of cash that's in nowhere's land. Not, yes, you know, you've got stock there. in the warehouse and you've got um, stock that's already made it to the consumer's consumption and that you haven't been paid for based on different kind of um, payment agreements and things like that. So we're certainly feeling, um, you know, um, that and we've been through that and we've been able to like come up with solutions that are really strong um, for overcoming them and that's um, something that we've learned about and you know by bringing in people into the team that have strong um, experience in accounting um, legal and um, you know distribution logistics using technology to minimize wages and um, do things in a really um, efficient manner is something that we've, we've learned and we're also continue to learn yeah, it's yeah. super, super fascinating. Um, when it comes to, I guess you say, leaders in urban farming, who are the people that you and Julian look up to? Yeah, definitely. The uh, Like I mentioned before, like um, I guess they're not technically a, an urban farming company, but they provide yeah. a solution for that, and that's Flowhive, where they have enabled anybody to, to um, kickstart a uh, connection to nature and bees and honey production, which we we know that that also encourages people that once you've got that feel for it, you might then plant an apple tree and a lemon tree and it stems into an ongoing um, interest in growing food. Yeah. So that's a, they're a huge com- um, company that 
started from a passion and, and a local idea and commercialized it globally for the benefit of um, humanity, really. Yeah. Flow Hive, it's F-L-O Hive. Um, with a well? W as well. Oh, with a yeah, W? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's really interesting. Yeah, they were the most successful crowdfunding campaign out of the outside of the United States of all time. Really? That's super fascinating. Yeah. They, um, they're from Byron Bay and we've been able to connect them up there and um, meet the, the founders and yeah, share some ideas and things like that. That's really interesting. Now, if you were talking to someone who wanted to learn more about urban farming, maybe even like if you want to make it specific to mushrooms, what sort of resources would you direct them to? Are there books that you'd recommend? Are there people that sort of excel in this area? Where would you push someone? Definitely. I mean, you mentioned Paul Stamets before. Yeah. He's the world's leading mycologist and he's one that we learned from from the very beginning about how mushrooms can save the world. Yeah. Um, and he has a variety of resources through video and TED Talks online. Um, he also wrote, wrote a few books and one of them is called Mycelium Running. Yeah. Um, mycelium is the root structures of mushrooms essentially and um, that's a really good resource. So you've got a variety of resources according to your interest in mushrooms and what kind of depth of knowledge you want to know. We are certainly putting um, time into educating as well. It's important that um, the audience understands why mushrooms can be so uh, powerful and uh, influential in um, the evolution of humanity. So we we uh, at Lifecycle do put out YouTube videos and um, on our Instagram stories and things like that, we talk about the backgrounds of the business and um, throw in a lot of um, educational points as well. Yeah, I'll, the videos, I, I like the videos you guys have got. It's a lot of um, interesting little educational videos even. Did, did I see you doing a cooking thing or am I just tripping? Yeah, I, you know, every now and then throw a few <laughs> mushrooms in the pan and talk about how much coconut oil to, throw, to combine. Yeah. <laughs> um, Okay, what what do you think is sort of the worst advice that's been dispensed when you started this business? Like, what are the things that people tell you that just don't make any sense and you think, you know, when you're, you're going through the last two years, just what the hell? Yeah. Well, I think the worst advice to us as a business, because every business is individual and every person is individual, so I don't think there's always one size fits all. Yeah. But, you know, when we've been told to be realistic or to slow down or we've, we've chosen the, the path of fast growth, which mm. is certainly by far not clean and structured <laughs> and, and beautiful, um, it's messy. But as long as we've been able to focus on the, on the big goal at, uh, at hand and successfully commercialize many aspects of, uh, of the mushroom business – um, we don't regret for a moment the fact that it hasn't. It's been a shaky ride. Like you know, we've yeah. we've we've been stumbling through because we've chosen the path of fast growth. So when so when we've been told you know oh, slow down things like that, um, I think that was bad advice for getting to where we have because I think in business you need to go all the way hard and fast or don't go at all. Mm. Um, if you get caught in the middle ground and a slow, um, you know, um, one um, vital message that julian always reminds the team of is you know speed over perfection Mm. um you know it's better doing a job fast and getting the outcome quickly than doing it perfectly and slow yeah yeah i think uh what's his name although he's not in the good books of most people zuckerberg's like uh what does he say move fast and break things or something like that (laughs) (laughs) um yeah (laughs) 
Um, starting with what you know now and the lessons that you have, uh, if you could s- start over again, what? Uh, how would you approach it? So, if, what would I change or like? Not specifically, what would you change? How would you approach the setup of the business with the knowledge that you have now? Okay. Well, it's a, it's a great question. Um, I think um, I think owning less assets okay. and um, outsourcing as much as possible. We have done that to a degree, but um, by freeing up cash flow um, that doesn't sit in um, the ownership of assets is a powerful one. Today you can do – there's so many opportunities for hiring facilities and um, using things and not owning them, taking a min- minimalistic um, stance on that. Um, what, what, what do you think that is? Is it just that um, in the short term it gives you better cash flow? Yeah. 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 Okay. Because yeah. then you don't – obviously you don't have to buy it. You've sunk the cost into it and you have to have it forever. Exactly, yeah. 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 Mm. Um, I want to jump into some short, fast, and quick questions to finish us off. Sure, yeah. Um, what do you do for your morning routine? My morning routine has um, just recently kind of changed. I've put a lot of focus into it in the last three weeks. I've been making sure that the first thing I do when I get out of bed is play guitar and don't turn my phone on, don't distract myself with anything else but playing some music and like satisfying, being satisfied for the moment. I definitely have a tendency in the morning to be more on edge or anxious for what the day could bring and, um, you know, and accepting that every day there's, there's problems. You're basically a permanent problem solver um, <laughs> in, in startup or in, um, you know, management of business. So That's to, sure. to start the day right, I, I like to just pick up the guitar and like, you know, learn a new song or play something to like ground myself and um, start the day on a really high note. That's a high note. That's a good little point. (laughs) Um, What about your evening routine? How do you sort of decompress in the evening? Yeah, definitely. I mean, and that's something I'm working on a lot more um, because changing habits um, requires discipline and and, um, commitment to that. And um, something I'm really, really working on is that goal setting before bed for the next day, making sure that in my calendar I've got written what's going to happen tomorrow. What are the key outcomes that when I leave that day that need to be ticked off? Yeah. So then I've already got in my mind um, a proactive um, intention instead of waking up on a fresh day and going, oh, what's on my emails today? This is going to guide what how my days looks because I'll never be able to achieve what is mo- the most vital things in the business unless I plan for them to be executed on. Okay, yeah. Yeah, I think I do sort of a similar thing. Um, sort of helps me not ruminate over what's <laughs> going on as well. Yeah. Um, Exercise. What do you do for exercise? Yeah. I mean, fortunately, through my um, upbringing of um, sport, I was playing most sport and it was always something. It's been an effortless aspect of my life to always be active. Hmm. Um, And I just find now like the quickest um, ways of getting the heart rate up and um, releasing the mind from the work or the problems is by doing high intensity exercise and really engaging in that. I like to play tennis or when we're in Byron Bay, we like to, you know, we go down daily and kick the footy at the beach and do some running and some swimming and things like that. A, a beautiful way to connect to, to nature and also get away from work whilst getting exercise in. When I'm in Melbourne, I, um, you know, will go for a quick 
do a few hill sprints. I've um, down in the Dandong Ranges, there's lots of hills, so you can. Uh, <laughs> there's no shortage of getting the heart rate up there, or a few chin ups, push ups. Um, you know, even in between emails, you know, like doing something to like keep your body activated and making sure all the right hormones and your blood sugar levels down, so then you can get the breast out of your brain and stay awake to be creative and effective throughout the day. Interesting. I, I, for some reason, I would have assumed that, you know, you'd be smashing the gym and stuff like that. But um, yeah, I've noticed like a lot of people are moving more towards exercise that's outside or just like high intensity training, like an F45 type. Um, yeah, I'm noticing less and less people focusing on the gym these days. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that's, that's another really good point. It's something that I've only really incorporated probably in the last two months is that if you're going to be expending energy, why not expend that energy towards something that's um, beneficial like chopping wood or like yeah. going and um, doing some gardening or, you know, uh, running with a friend or playing sport or so that you're actually expending energy in a purposeful way that's also productive. Yeah. Um, yeah, I know you mean. It's supposed to standing in a mirror and, uh, and expending energy for the sake of expending energy, <laughs> which is also beneficial to get your hormones and your, you know, um, your body active of course but why not get more bang for your buck and do something productive yeah it sort of goes back to what we we're saying about um maximizing the calories you can get through food and having diversity uh, i think people are sort of starting to realize that you can do the same thing just in a different way yeah um is a tough one for a lot of people but uh best purchase that's probably had most positive impact under 200 dollars. oh wow yeah under 200 I, I almost slipped in my guitar there. But it was about 350. <laughs> um, wow. Uh, most, I, mean, I haven't been, I don't spend money these days. <laughs> That's what happens when you run a startup. Man. That's you right. You don't spend there's, any there's money. No, there's no cash for like buying purchases. We'll, um, we'll give you the guitar. Oh, we'll, we'll the guitar. Give- <laughs> yeah, thanks. <laughs> um, most influential book for you, if you had to gift a book to someone? Yeah. Um, I read a book by Vishen Lakiani. He's the founder of Mind Valley. Okay. Um, and he he started my journey into meditation and gratitude and um, practicing the right um, concepts for an effective day and like using um, technology as, such as binaural beats, which pumps uh, yeah. um, different frequencies into different ears to um, to access different brain waves and um, put yourself into a state of meditation and focus creativity and things like that yeah um it's it's funny actually like the i don't know why but the name of the book has actually just escaped me um that's right we can we can can (laughs) link it later on yeah if i think that i'll get it i i i just um particularly remember particularly follow mind valley and vision and all these um associated uh, wisdom yeah yeah that's cool well either our um engineer or production assistant will find it all right (laughs) um Okay, last question for you. Uh, if you could have a billboard anywhere in Australia, where would it be, first of all, and then yeah. what would it say? Wow. Um, well, you know, we're, we're up here in your beautiful apartment overlooking Federation Square and the MCG and all those kind of things. And I, I think there's a lot of traffic coming through definitely in Melbourne that could get a nice glimpse on that. Whether or not the MCG would let us put a billboard up that would say mushrooms are our future <laughs> is probably, um, I doubt that. But um, where's the most um, – maybe over the Westgate Bridge we'd have a big um, big billboard saying mushrooms are our future for all the visitors coming in and out of Melbourne that can see and yeah. understand 
uh, what's on the horizon. And then you can just have like a little mushroom behind it, like just the little roots and everything Some growing. beautiful artwork <laughs> <Yeah>. for sure. <laughs> um, all right. Last, I guess, words of wisdom for our audience. How can they find you or Lifecycle on social media? Yeah. Well, we chose to spell Lifecycle in a difficult way just to make it hard. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no, we, we spelled Lifecycle like L-I-F-E space C-Y-K-E-L. Yeah. And that's the way the Swedes spell it. And uh, we're inspired by the way the European values follow sustainability and better ways of living. And it was a mission to close the loop life cycle mm. um, to engage in a better life with mushrooms. And um, we you can find us at lifecycle.com, mm-hmm. C-Y-K-E-L. Yeah. And um, on our Instagram page and our Facebook page where we um, post a lot of um, content about mushrooms and um, a, a ways of living greener. Yeah, I definitely suggest people check out. I mean, I'm I'm a sucker for Instagram at the moment. I'm not a big fan of <laughs> Facebook and yeah. Twitter these days, but um, yeah, I really enjoyed looking at the Instagram. So people should definitely check that out. Um, so it's just life cycle for those. Just the handle is life cycle. Yeah, yeah. yeah. We'll yeah. link all of that, obviously. But um, look, man, thank you so much for uh, joining us. And uh, yeah, it's been a pleasure having you on. Thanks so much, Jordan. It's been an absolute pleasure talking to you and it's uh, really engaging. I'm very honored to be able to share the message. Cool. Thanks, mate. Cheers. Thank you for making it this far. Before you run off, we have a quick ask for you. Subscribe on your podcast app. Subscribing will give you priority access and help your fellow-minded listeners find Uncommon. Or you could also share with a friend. This will go a long way in building our audience, which will help us both get further guests on the show. Don't forget to like us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, or YouTube by searching Neural, which is N-E-U-R-A-L-L-E. But until next time, thanks for listening.